0: To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we've made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, on a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how much you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at Marketplace.org donate. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at Marketplace.org slash donate. To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we've made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old dot-com era logo and put it on a sticker, on a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how much you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org slash donate. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org slash donate.
1: The end of one season, the start of another, and why binging the next season of your favorite show may cost you more. From American Public Media, this is Marketplace. In Washington, D.C., I'm Kimberly Adams in for Kyra's doll. It's Wednesday, December 27th. Good to have you with us. This holiday shopping season was and is a long one, with retailers starting sales earlier and pushing people to keep buying all season long. But whether those businesses like it or not, the holiday shopping season is coming to a close. So if you're a retailer, what do you do when the party's over? Well, as Marketplace's Christian Schwab reports, you try to keep it going just a little bit longer.
2: This is the week where lots of people gather their gift receipts and get to work. Michael Brown is one
3: of them. I spent this morning trying to uh, exchange something that I got for Christmas that wasn't the right size. A shirt from an activewear brand. And
2: Brown, who leads Kearney's retail practice, says unless you wanted to exchange the shirt for an uncommon size or unpopular color,
4: you could not get anything.
2: That's not great for him, but it is good for the retailer because it means the company managed its inventory and discounts just right. Meanwhile, Brown says stores that have too much stuff left over are having post-holiday, end-of-the-year sales.
0: Most
3: retailers are going to start their fiscal 2024 on February 1. So it's time now to optimize as much as you can from the leftover inventory to end the fall season, to begin the spring season.
2: The promotions might get pushy. Get yourself something with that gift card. Get yourself the thing you wanted and no one got you. Get yourself something for your new year, new you resolution. Terry Camp, who directs the Center for Retail Enterprises at the University of Texas at Tyler, says this is par for the course every year. But because Black Friday sales started as early as October, a January sales push might turn shoppers off. I think consumers do get tired. Um, the number of promotions that we receive, you just check it—you know,
5: anybody's inbox in their email or their text messages even now retailers are using.
2: She says retailers need to be cautious about their messaging, and they need to avoid early optimism of how well they did this holiday season, even though sales were solid, because people bought differently. For one, buy now, pay later spending hit an all-time high on Cyber Monday.
5: So there is some concern that when credit card bills come in after the new year, that consumers may have overestimated what they spent
2: which for retailers could mean an even slower than usual start to 2024. I'm Kristen Schwab for Marketplace.
1: Wall Street today. Stocks were mostly flat, although the S&P flirted with a new record. We'll have the details when we do the numbers. Even if the shopping season is winding down, the 2024 campaign season is just ramping up. Candidates and PACs and super PACs have been raising money for months already, and in some cases, already spending it. That money is part of a projected $10.2 billion likely going into the 2024 race. So to check on what's happening on the campaign finance side of things, we've got Sheila Crumholtz, the executive director of Open Secrets, which tracks money in politics. Sheila, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. We are firmly in election season now. So what are some of the spending trends that you've been noticing so far?
6: Well, it's interesting. Uh, Total outside spending is surprisingly high for this point in the cycle. We're already at nearly $230 million. That's more than twice the previous record through this point in the cycle, which was back in 2016. But it's more than five times as much as was spent by this point in the last presidential cycle in 2020. Of course, usual inflation caveats apply. So when you say outside spending, what are you talking about? Super PACs in particular, but it can also be politically active nonprofits. It can be shell corporations spending independently. So this is money not spent by the candidates or by political committees that report to the FEC other than super PACs, these independent expenditure-only committees. They are supposed to be independent. This is uh, not necessarily (laughs) the case, but that is the law.
1: No. You mean
6: that there's coordination, possibly? (laughs) You know, I think if there is coordination, they're just being sloppy because it's so easy for a candidate to telegraph their intent and have outside groups not break the law and not do anything illegal, but kind of pick up the baton. These outside groups really, especially super PACs that are single candidate super PACs, really are just an extension of the campaigns at this point.
1: We saw progressive candidates shift to sort of emphasizing smaller donations almost as far back as 2016, and conservative candidates have been doing the same in more recent cycle. What's the balance between these small and large dollar donors nowadays?
6: Uh, Small dollar donors are making up a huge portion of the donations and a growing portion with each election cycle. Unfortunately, a lot of the money is going through these joint fundraising committees that are raising money for the candidates, but also for the parties and other committees, uh, including national and state-level party committees. But we know, based on each past election cycle, that the um, percentage coming from small donors is growing uh, with each passing cycle. A report from
1: Ad Impact predicted that the 2024 cycle will be the most expensive campaign ever. And I wonder how that lines up with what you're seeing so far. It's
6: still very early at this point. We won't get the uh, year-end filings until January, uh, January 31st of next year. But if trends hold with what we're seeing in outside spending, we're easily on record setting outside spending pace, in which case those predictions of record-breaking political ad spending seem totally reasonable to me.
1: Where are these campaigns and PACs and super PACs and and these outside groups, where are they spending their money and how are they spending it?
6: Well, typically at this point in the cycle, the uh, outside groups are running advertising to present the candidates, the presidential candidates in particular in this case, uh, to the American public to, in many cases, introduce them and uh, And, of course, we don't really know where a lot of the money is coming from, because, of course, they don't want to expose where the money's coming from. It might conflict with the campaign's messaging
1: so overall, how do you expect the money side of this election cycle to look different from campaigns of the past?
6: In campaign finance and in regulation of campaign finance, it's always been kind of a cat and mouse game. Two steps forward, one step back. So as technology offers new options for campaigns to get around some of the limitations of our campaign finance regulations, I'm sure that we'll continue to see creative uh, developments, innovations in uh, campaigning and electioneering. And, uh, you know, it'll be up to the, the press, the public and policymakers to figure out where to draw the line and uh, to, to stay on top of those trends.
1: Sheila Krumholtz is the executive director of Open Secrets. Thank you so much.
6: My pleasure. Thank you.
1: Some of those campaign ads coming your way in 2024 will be showing up on streaming platforms. Streaming platforms you'll probably be paying more to watch than you did in 2023. Amazon Prime Video is the latest service hoping ad revenue will help boost its profit margins. It's telling customers that advertisements are coming at the end of January and offering a new ad-free tier for an extra $2.99 a month. 2023 was a year of correction for the streaming sector, with several big services hiking subscription prices and cutting their content spending after facing some post-pandemic subscriber loss. So how long will we keep paying more for less? Marketplace's Savannah Marr reports.
7: In 2023, the price of my Mac subscription went up by a dollar a month. I got booted off my cousin's Netflix account during the password sharing crackdown, and now, if I want to keep watching Prime Video without ads, I'll have to pay up.
8: Like you, I'm also a victim, right? <laughs> We're all victims.
7: Jay Christopher Hamilton is a professor at Syracuse who says his favorite streamer is Apple TV+. He's a fan of the dystopian drama Silo.
8: And they went from $6.99 to now pretty much 10 bucks.
7: But streaming customers are sort of spoiled, says Ross Benish, an analyst with Insider Intelligence's Marketer.
4: Well, for years... Most streaming services operated at a loss.
7: Benish says cheap subscriptions were a tool to reach as many customers as possible.
4: So now that they're raising the prices and jamming ads into the programming, that's more reflective of what it costs to run that service.
7: And of an oversaturated market where there aren't many new subscribers to go after. Meanwhile, streamers are spending less on content. And Grace Lee, an analyst with Alex Partners, says customers have noticed.
2: The customer churn has been aggravated over the course of last year and this year.
7: Churn meaning the number of subscribers bailing after binging the new season of their favorite show. So how will streamers stay afloat in 2024? I asked my sources for some New Year's predictions. Lee says we'll see more bundled subscriptions. Whether it be a streaming service or other services like retail or telecom, Benish expects the volume of streaming ads to grow.
4: Hulu used to be like four minutes of ads per hour, and now it's closer to 10 minutes per hour. You're going to see more of that.
7: And Hamilton says we should temper our expectations around content.
8: You're going to have less of these big, gigantic franchise period projects. And one more thing.
7: Hamilton says look for some mergers and acquisitions to thin the streaming market by the end of 2024. I'm Savannah Marr for Marketplace.
1: Coming up...
8: I love it. It's the most amazing job I've ever done.
1: You know what they say, do what you love. But first, let's do the numbers. <laughs> The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 111 points, three-tenths percent, to close at 37,656. The Nasdaq grew 24 points, about two-tenths percent, to end at 15,099. And the S&P 500, nearing a record high, grew six points, a tenth of a percent, to finish at 47.81. The New York Times company picked up two and three-quarters percent after it filed a lawsuit against Microsoft and OpenAI, the parent company of ChatGPT, alleging the technology firms infringed its copyright to train large language models. Apple added less than a tenth a percent after winning a pause on a ban of sales of its latest watches in the US. That ban as part of an ongoing patent dispute with medical technology company Masimo, whose stock subtracted four and six-tenths percent. The new year is not far off. A survey from Forbes Health, one poll on what resolutions Americans are making, showed that improving physical fitness was the top resolution, chosen by 48% of respondents. Next came improving finances, prioritized by 38%. Bond prices rose, the yield on the 10-year T-note fell to 3.78%. And you're listening to Marketplace.
0: To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technologies is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech. Save on select next-gen PCs like the XPS 13 Plus, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. Save now at Dell.com slash deals.
1: This is Marketplace. I'm Kimberly Adams. When it comes to the housing market, we're finishing off 2023 in a pretty weird, challenging place. While inflation in general is continuing to moderate, Home price inflation is not. The Case Schiller National Home Price Index shot up again in October, rising 4.8% year over year, an acceleration from the month before. According to the National Association of Realtors, the median price of an existing home in the U.S. in November was $387,600 whereas a typical new home will set you back almost 50000 more at upwards of $430,000. So it's a really tough market for would-be home buyers. And it's not like being a renter has been easy either. According to the Labor Department's Consumer Price Index for November, rents are up nearly 7% year over year, helping to drive overall inflation higher. But as Marketplace's Mitchell Hartman reports, there may be some relief coming next year.
3: First, we have to understand what's been driving home prices so high. The answer, in large part, is really high mortgage costs. The average 30-year fixed rate mortgage soared as the Fed raised interest rates, peaking at 7.8% earlier this fall before falling back a bit more recently. Meanwhile, says Guy Sakala at Inside Mortgage Finance.
8: There are a lot of people who are locked in in sub-4%. Mortgages. There's almost a generation who feels that's where mortgage rates should be.
3: And these homeowners, which is most homeowners, are really reluctant to sell, says Gary Schlossberg at the Wells Fargo Investment Institute.
8: It's been the spike in mortgage rates that's discouraged existing homeowners from uh, trading up and assuming a mortgage that's several percentage points higher. So that sticker shock, in effect, is freezing the market, freezing supply.
3: Homeowners are sticking in their homes, but demand is strong from would-be home buyers, pushing prices higher and making home ownership ever less affordable, says Chris Mayer at Columbia Business School. Single-family houses are starting to seem
8: like a luxury good, whereas to rent an apartment is becoming relatively more affordable.
3: That's one bright spot in the housing picture, at least. Rent inflation is now easing. One reason, says Robert Dietz at the National Association of Home Builders. There are about a million apartments under construction right now. It's roughly near the highest total we've seen since 1973. That's going to raise vacancy rates and make apartments more affordable, says Kate Turhune at Online Marketplace Rent.
7: Data from November shows national rent averages sitting just under $2,000, down by over 2%
3: since last year. She says a lot of the new apartment buildings are high-end.
7: I saw one rental property offering Teslas to rent out for the day. There is, you know, dog washing units, there's childcare on site.
3: Still, she says additional supply of luxury units will help free up apartments at the lower end of the market. I'm Mitchell Hartman for Marketplace.
1: It's been a busy year for worker organizing. More than half a million workers went on strike at some point in 2023. Among them, auto workers, Kaiser nurses and actors, groups that went on strike and won big wage gains. Now the unionization movement is making its way to higher elevations, like at ski resorts in the Mountain West. Matt Bloom from Colorado Public Radio reports ski patrollers see unionizing as a way to carve out a life in expensive resort towns.
4: Jake Miller grew up a skier. When on the mountain as a kid, he would watch out for patrollers dashing around on high stakes rescue missions. So when he got old enough last year, he applied to join the ski patrol ranks at Eldora Mountain Resort in Boulder County, Colorado. I love it. It's
8: the most amazing job I've ever done.
4: He loves being able to help people in emergencies, and the job can be thrilling. He even learned how to handle explosives to prevent avalanches. But finding housing in a resort town can be impossible. Miller's job pays $18 an hour in a community where the median home price hovers around $1 million. So he has to live a couple towns away.
8: Driving an hour to and from work each day, which, of course, puts wear and tear on the vehicle and and the gas expenditure.
4: Miller wants patrolling to be a career. He asked for a raise, but when it didn't happen, he and other patrollers went another route.
8: It doesn't seem like the one-to-one relationship with our employer is really getting us results. And I think collective bargaining is a more transparent and unified way to have a seat at the table.
4: The union vote will take place this winter. If it goes through, they would join the United Ski Patrols of America, the union has seen its membership double over the past five years to nearly a thousand members across the U.S. That swell has a lot to do with the higher cost of housing and other expenses these days, says Aaron Hatton, a labor researcher at the University of Buffalo.
5: They're no longer accepting those, those old terms of we'll pay you in fun. We'll pay you in, well, this is just something you would do anyway or that you love.
4: That's a shift in thinking that Hatton is seeing playing out in all kinds of seasonal adventurous jobs.
5: They're asking for more and they're using union organizing drives to get it, whether it's in terms of wages, whether it's in terms of recognition and respect, whether it's in terms of safety protections or all of the above.
4: The National Ski Areas Association says it respects workers' rights to organize, but many of the resorts have pushed back. In a statement, managers from Eldora said they offer competitive pay and are trying to address issues like understaffing. At Purgatory Resort in Southwest Colorado, General Manager Dave Rathbun was initially against unionization. Ski patrollers there voted to unionize last year and negotiated a pay boost. Now, Rathbun admits hiring is easier.
3: It still shows me that people will value this lifestyle and they're going to try the best they can to make it work.
4: Patrollers say unionizing gives them a stronger voice when talking to big corporations that own many resorts. At Breckenridge, which is owned by one of the country's biggest resort companies, Vail Resorts, patrollers and lift operators are now in their second winter season under a contract. Ski patroller Ryan Deneen says staff can now earn up to $32 an hour. That's a record high, but it's still not enough for many to live in the community without assistance.
3: I live in town subsidized housing. My children go to subsidized daycare, and that's a part of what I think is is a flaw in this entire mountain industry.
4: The resort started funding more affordable workforce housing. Deneen says that's a step toward keeping patrollers, which is important when they're trained in medical trauma care and avalanche prevention.
3: Those aren't skills that can be honed over a year or two. Uh, I've been here for 12 years now, and I feel like maybe I'm just starting to get it.
4: And he'd like to keep working on the mountain for another decade, as long as he can afford it. I'm Matt Bloom for Marketplace.
1: This week, we're bringing new stories about working with family, and we knew at least one of those stories needed to come from South Dakota. Why South Dakota? Well, based on data from small business lender OnDeck, more than two-fifths of South Dakota businesses, about 43% as of last year, are family-owned, the highest proportion in the country. So what's so special about those businesses and the families who run them? That brings us to the second of three My Economy stories about working with the people you love. This is BJ Dvork and Jacqueline Economo.
9: We are a mother and daughter team, and we own a quilt shop called Jacqueline Joyce in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Well, I think it started. Do you want to go, Mom? Because it was kind of your idea.
5: You know, I was older when I made my first quilt. I'd sewn all my life, but I'd never really made a lot of quilts.
9: My first quilt was... Um, so my husband's younger sister, when she got married, what she asked me for for her wedding was a uh, quilt. She knew my mom quilted and she thought I could just do it, you know. <laughs> and I don't know why, but I said yes. And I and then I said quickly said, Mom, will you help me?
5: <laughs> it was so funny because she had, I think, 25 colors and so many squares. And it was complicated. And we did it in one week. It was beautiful. For me, quilting is about, you know, our
9: relationship in a lot of ways. My mom, having started two businesses and like growing up around that environment, I think what you have to understand when you're a new business owner is that you're not going to make money the first year. I think we started breaking even about nine months in, and I think for me, I had some money I had to invest. It's like you could put it in the stock market, which wasn't doing great, or I could invest it in myself. And that's kind of how I look at it as like a long-term investment.
5: Well, I think we've accomplished so much more than I ever imagined we could. Just every day, I'm just amazed at what she knows. <laughs> like yesterday, a guy was here and he said, my wife has drugged me to cold shops all over the nation and I've never been in one like this. He said, obviously you guys have owned a business before.
9: <laughs> Whatever we're excited about, people are buying. Some of the things that are crafts, and sewing activities that BJ's really into, it's just very easy for her to sell them. And so we keep running out of the stuff that is like some of her trademark things.
5: I think that I just love people. I love doing what I do. I'm not retired. I'm just getting started. (laughs) I just helped a a grandma. She has a, a special needs child. She's graduating from high school. And so she came in and she found the perfect fabric it had ice cream cones the donuts the Arizona where she lives it had all the things that reminded her of her growing up years she's just so excited to give that gift to her it's just you know put you in tears <laughs> cuz she found the perfect gift and you could help her
1: DJ Dvorak and Jacqueline Economo, the mother and daughter duo behind Jacqueline Joyce Stitch Studio in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We can't do this series without you, so let us know what's going on in your economy. marketplace.org my economy. This final note on the way out today. Mitchell was talking earlier about challenges in the residential real estate market. Well, things have been rough on the commercial side of things, too, with remote work, higher interest rates and even higher vacancy rates in office buildings driving down prices. Case in point, according to Fortune magazine, Aon Center, the third tallest tower in Los Angeles, recently sold for just under $148 million. The 62 story building last sold in 2014 for more than 2 Two hundred and sixty-eight million dollars—a forty-five percent drop in value. Our media production team includes Brian Allison, Jake Cherry, Jessen Duller, Drew Jostad, Gary O'Keefe, Jeff Peters, Charlton Thorpe, Juan Carlos Torado, and Becca Weinman. I'm Kimberly Adams. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. This is APM.